We are continuing on with the series that we've been doing on Sunday mornings, looking at uh, the idea of family, uh, looking at family not just as the world does, but trying to look at it particularly through the lens of Jesus. Um, There are so many things in this world that everybody experiences, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, or whatever your religion may be or your worldview may be. But as Christians, we are going to have a unique perspective. Because we're not just looking at things through our own eyes, hopefully, or through the eyes of our culture, although you can't eliminate that. We are looking at things through the eyes of Jesus. That is our approach. That is our goal as we look at the world around us. And that's our goal when we look at politics. That's our goal when we look at wealth. That's our goal when we look at entertainment. That's our goal when we look at uh, some of the pressing issues on people's hearts and minds and ethical issues. But that's also our goal when we look at our family. You're not just a husband if you're a Christian. You are a husband in the view of Christ. You are not just a wife. You are a wife with respect to your relationship with Christ. You're not just a child. You're not just a parent. You're not just a grandparent. You are in a family, and as so, you are a representative of Christ in that family. But one of the the struggles sometimes that churches have uh, is... We often want to emphasize family and how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife and how to, to, to raise children well and how to listen to your parents and, and all of those things. But when you do that, um, there are a lot of people in the church whose life might not look like that. There is uh, within the church people who are married. There are within the church people who are single, both of whom have unique opportunities and ways to serve God in the role that they find themselves in. And sometimes... Those who are single have been neglected by the church. Uh, Church has emphasized so much how to be a good family member uh, and how to raise your children and all that, that those who are not yet in a family or or, uh, don't have a, a husband or a wife or one of their own, they often feel as though they're being overlooked. And I think it's important not to do that because when you read through the Bible, within the church, there's a very special place. For those who are practicing singleness. It has a long history in Christianity. Going back all the way to the Apostle Paul or even Jesus himself. Who were single. And yet I think we could all agree played a pretty vital role. In uh, in Christianity and in the, the way that Christianity took off in the ancient world. It is interesting to look at the trajectory of certain ideas and and practices throughout the history of the church and throughout the history of Christianity, one of those uh, topics that has a really interesting trajectory is that of uh, singleness. Uh, Or um, perhaps uh, clerical celibacy is sometimes what it's called when you talk about uh, like leaders in the church who take a vow of celibacy that they're never going to get married. Um, There are, like like in Catholicism, that has a long and rich history in a lot of ways. Uh, It goes back uh, to very early days. It was a hotly contested issue in the early church. We have writings where people, um, you know, we have like the New Testament writings, but then there were also writings that Christians continued to write after that. And in some of those writings, you can see strong tension among believers in what the best path forward for people who are serving the churches with respect to marriage. Um, there's a work called the Acts of Paul and Thecla. It, it's kind of like uh, the, the book of Acts that we have, only it, it tells different stories and has different characters. Paul is the main character of it, though. It's not an inspired work, and I don't think it's a historically accurate work in, in many respects. But one of the things that's interesting in it is whoever wrote that clearly has 
a strong or high view of singleness uh, because that is, in essence, the central point of Paul's gospel in that book. He goes to this city and uh, he begins preaching his message and he starts going through like the Beatitudes, only their own, his own unique spin on them. And one of the things that's heavily emphasized in it is uh, being a virgin or being single or not getting married. And while he's preaching this lesson, there's a woman named Thecla. She's actually a saint uh, in, in Catholicism, and she's listening through an open window, and she hears this message, and she becomes just uh, completely entranced by the teaching of Paul, and she's mesmerized by it, and she thinks she has to listen to whatever he says. There's a problem. She's engaged to a guy named Thamyris. Um, and so Thecla now has this difficult ethical issue as to whether she's going to listen to the teaching of the gospel that she heard and break off the engagement, or she's going to continue in her commitment to Thamyris and get married. Well, she chooses to listen to Paul, and uh, she ends up breaking off the engagement, and it causes a huge uproar within her, her family, within the city, so much so that they decide they're going to burn her at the stake. And so they tie up uh, Thecla, and she actually, it, it, this is an interesting work for a couple of reasons. One is because as she's going to, the, to her death, she makes the sign of the cross. Uh, which is the first time in like church history that we have a record of that happening. Um, but she makes the sign of the cross, and then she, she goes, and God miraculously protects her through the fire. She ends up being cast out of the city. She goes somewhere else. She runs into more problems. She ends up thrown into an arena where wild animals are supposed to tear her apart, but God protects her there also. Anyway, it's probably a work most of you have never read. Uh, it's a fun writing in early Christianity, if you want to read it sometime. Um, kind of like being saved from the fire and being saved from the, the lions in the arena. They have some connection back to some of the imagery from the book of Daniel. Being saved from the fiery furnace, being saved from the lions. And there's a lot of connections to early Christian writings and stuff. But the reason for bringing it up is because there were some early Christians who were telling stories about people in the Bible, and one of the, one of the, the highlights or one of the main points of that was the, the practice of singleness, because a lot of people saw value in it. Um, and I would say that's not just made up. Some of the, the stories in the Acts of Paul and Thecla are, are made up, but the idea of singleness being something valuable in the kingdom of God you can actually trace back to the New Testament. You can trace that back to the historical Paul. You can trace that back to writings like 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which we'll look at a little bit uh, here this morning. And you'll see that Paul does place a high view on marriage, on marriage yes, but also on singleness. Uh, and, uh, and he see, sees that as something that is particularly and uniquely valuable in the kingdom of God. And so all of that is to say, when you start looking at... Uh, how things ended up being practiced. You have the Council of Elvira in the early 4th century, which is where the first time uh, where you have clerical celibacy canonized in the church, meaning there was a council that met, and they made a decree that if you're going to be a bishop uh, in the church, you're going to remain unmarried. Uh, that happened in the early 4th century, and that's something that was practiced in a lot of ways since that. So whenever you're looking at the religious world around you, and you see, okay, in Catholicism... Uh, the Pope and a lot of the, the higher-ups within the religious uh, clerical world are unmarried. And then you look at um, a lot of Protestant churches, especially in the United States, and if you're looking for uh, like ministry openings and things like that, you know what one of the like almost given as a requirement that you're going to see on pretty much every one of them is? 
We want them to have a, a wife, and we want them to have a family. Uh, we're looking for someone who is married. We're looking for someone who has a family. And it's interesting. Whenever you see something like that, you have to think, well, how did those two strands develop? And you can see that those two strands have existed from the very earliest days of the church, and there have been ups and downs and, and, and stuff along the way. But one of the reasons for that is because there is certainly value in family. And some Christians have noticed that and held on to that. There's also value in singleness. And some Christian traditions have held on to that. And I think sometimes we can react against a tradition. And it's almost as though our reaction against a certain idea or tradition informs the way we do things as much as the Bible does. Uh, I think there's an extent to which the emphasis on pastors and ministers being married is a reaction against Catholicism uh, as much of it as it is simply what the Bible says. Now, if you read the Bible and you look at some of the roles for elders and things like that, you do see that marriage is a part of that and, and having a family is a part of that. And so certainly you don't want to devalue that. But on the other end of the spectrum, there are some advantages to singleness in the kingdom of God that the Bible emphasizes and demonstrates through the life of Jesus, through the life of Paul, through the writings of some of these New Testament uh, documents. And so what we're going to do in the lesson uh, this morning is we're going to look at some of the advantages of singleness in the kingdom of God. We're going to look at the vital and important role that singleness can play when it comes to serving God in our kingdom um, or in his kingdom. Um, It's possible to make good things become bad things when you elevate them to an extent that they almost become an idol. There are ways in which perhaps marriage and family has been elevated to that extent in some of our churches. When, when a single person walks into the church and the first thing people start doing is looking around for who you can set them up with, um, it's possible that we're forgetting that the purpose of Christianity is not marriage. And the purpose of the church is not marriage. There's something much richer and deeper than that. And there's something that even if they never get married, they can offer the church with extreme value and and extreme beauty. Uh, The purpose of the church is not uh, marriage. Marriage is not the end goal. Uh, Marriage and singleness, they both offer different pictures of the gospel. They offer pictures of the gospel in in unique ways. Marriage in the Bible is demonstrated uh, or or is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. That's one of the ways that that, uh, Paul describes marriage, is it's pointing beyond itself to something deeper in our relationship with God. And so there is something gospel central and focused about the idea of marriage. But the same is true, I believe, with singleness. Whereas marriage is a picture of our uh, relationship with Christ— Singleness is a demonstration of the sufficiency of Christ. Marriage is a demonstration of the fact that when you have Christ, or singleness is a demonstration of the fact that when you have Christ, you do have all that you need to have a rich and fulfilling life now and in the age to come. Uh, You don't... There's a difference between being single and being alone. And there are people who are single, but if you're a Christian... You might be single, but you're not alone because you have a relationship that is even deeper than any marriage relationship out there. 
any relationship between parents and children. That's a point that Jesus wants to emphasize emphatically in his earthly ministry, is that the relationship he's offering with himself and with God is even deeper than the family relationships that we sometimes have. Remember those, those awkward words of Jesus, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a, man, a father-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves husband or wife more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever ta- doesn't take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. In that teaching, Jesus is elevating our relationship with him over and above even our family relationships. So what that means is even if you don't have those family relationships, you can still have the most vital and important relationship that Jesus offers. And that is the relationship, first and foremost, that the church should be focused on and emphasizing. Not just trying to get everyone married to each other, but getting people married to Christ. Getting people in a walk and in a meaningful and an eternal relationship with him. Because it's also true that neither marriageness or neither marriageness, neither marriage nor singleness is eternal. Neither of those are the ultimate purpose of this life. Singleness isn't eternal because there actually is a relationship that we are longing to for and that we have now and that we will have in the age to come that will last for an eternity. And that's our relationship with Christ. And marriage isn't eternal because Jesus emphatically says in the age to come, Marriage isn't going to be what your relationships are about. We're, you'll be like the angels of heaven uh, who neither marry nor are given in marriage. In, in Matthew 22, there's a fascinating dilemma that is presented before Jesus. The Sadducees, who deny the resurrection, they come up to Jesus to try to trick him with some questions about the resurrection. And this story, this uh, demonstration they come up with, it comes from a, a book, and we call it apocryphal, or it's in the intertestamental period. It's from the book of Tobit. But there's an example of seven brothers who die, having all been married to the same woman. And so, like, she was married to one, and then one brother died, and so the next brother marries her, then he dies, and the next brother marries her, then he dies. And at the end of her life, she's been married to seven different husbands and doesn't have any children with any of them. And then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, say, so imagine Resurrection Day when all seven of these guys come strolling up to her. Who gets to be your husband? Is she married to all seven? Like, the resurrection is going to present some awkward reunions uh, in, in the age to come. And so what do you say about that? And Jesus answers uh, that they, they don't know their Bibles. Uh, they don't know the power of God. Uh, he first says, in the resurrection, you'll be like the angels. There is no marriage. And so her relationship with none of them is going to be a marriage relationship. Well, that's kind of interesting. As high of a value as we place on marriage, marriage, like wealth, like so many other things, isn't something you're taking with you into the age to come. Now, there is an extent to which that can be a a, a depressing thought, especially if you like your marriage. Uh, But I would say take comfort in knowing that I don't believe Jesus is saying there's not going to be marriage in the age to come because your relationship with that person will be worse. I think it'll be better than you could even imagine. I think it'll be better than whatever it is we call marriage now. But I think that's also true with the whole community of God. And I think that's also true with our relationship with God himself. We will experience deeper, fuller, and richer relationships in the age to come than any of us can have now. That includes a marriage relationship. And so what you're seeing when you see people like the Apostle Paul, 
who practiced the gift of singleness and who served God in that way and had such a close relationship with him that that's what mattered first and foremost is you're getting a picture, an image, a taste of what that eternal relationship is going to be. Through singleness, you can actually see on earth now what the ultimate hope of Christianity is. And it's a walk with God that is so close that marriage becomes obsolete. Uh, When you look at that Matthew 22 passage and you you talk about marriage not existing, I do think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is, yes, uh, that there's no need for procreation, and that's one of the purposes of marriage is the family unit. Uh, You don't need that in the age to come. But I think, secondly, it's because our relationships in the community will be so overwhelmingly loving and close together and tightly knit and woven to our fellowship with each other and most importantly our fellowship with Christ that some of the things that we call relationships now will pale in significance. Uh, I I have brothers who are born to my same parents but in the age to come I'm going to have brothers who are Throughout the whole, like we, we use that language now, and that's a picture of the age to come. It, it, it's a way of elevating our spiritual family, our family in Christ, even over above the family that we have now. And I think the same is true with, with marriage. It's not that you're going to get up there and not like your wife anymore or not like your husband. Your relationship will probably be better than it ever has been and closer than it ever has been. But that's not called marriage anymore. Something even greater is in store. And that is in store for everybody, whether you're single now or whether you're married now. And, and there are ways that you can picture that and demonstrate that uh, on earth even now. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because this is probably the chapter where Paul deals with singleness more, um, more directly than most other places. You do see glimpses of it in other places. Jesus talks about, uh, in Matthew 19, those who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. And, and he's not advocating, you know, getting a knife. Uh, he's, he's using that as, a, as an illustration of, of singleness. And what he's saying is there are some people who, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will live that way. They will live without, uh, without marriage, and they will live uh, a life of soul devotion to Christ in that way. And Jesus sees that as something that's valuable to do for the kingdom. Well, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is going to discuss that idea, I think, even further. Um, early on in the chapter, Paul actually refers to singleness as a gift from God. The ability to remain single and to be content in that is something that, uh, that God has given that he wishes all men could experience. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 7, he says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So he's saying that's his gift. Other people have their own gifts, and so not everyone's going to go the route of singleness. But that is something that he considers to be a gift from God that he wishes more people had an experience because there are benefits to it. As you read through 1 Corinthians 7, when you talk about singleness, there's a couple of different categories that, that Paul is going to, to reference. There are some who are single who basically they're virgins. They've, they've never been married and they've never uh, been with anyone. Uh, there are some that are single because of divorce. And uh, there are some that are single single because they uh, have lost a loved one or lost a spouse. They're widows or widowers. And he addresses each of these different categories. And in each one of them, he encourages them to remain uh, 
to remain single. Now, he does nuance that a bit, uh, and, and with each of them, there are some different ideas, you know, for, uh, the, for the unmarried, it's not a sin if they were to marry, uh, for the, the widowed or widowed, again, it's not a sin, he, he hopes that those who have been divorced can find reconciliation, and, and so there are ways in which he nuances each of those, but in every instance, he does encourage the idea of singleness. And as you keep reading through the chapter, you end up finding out two primary reasons why he encourages it. One of them, uh, if you begin in in verse 25 of chapter 7, the first one, it's a little difficult exactly to know precisely what Paul is talking about, uh, whether he's talking about uh, a strong persecution that he has in mind, or some people think that he, he believes in the rapid return of Jesus, and those are shaping some of his thoughts about this, um, and, and some think it's probably both. He thinks there will be persecution prior to the second coming of Jesus, uh, and so you can see those elements in these first couple of verses, which, by the way, makes sense. You know, if you are, if you're about to experience the end of the world, marriage probably shouldn't be your highest priority right now. Uh, Maybe getting your life right with Christ should be a pretty high priority. Or if you're about to experience persecution and your life will literally be being put on the line, it it is easier to face persecution when you don't have a family at home counting on you. Uh, And so he's going to encourage them Stay as you are. Don't be taking on, you know, new responsibilities of husband and trying to have children and all that stuff. Like, that's going to complicate matters a whole lot when the hard times come. So, so when you look at uh, verse 25, he says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give you my opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. And by the way, that's an important verse. Uh, and that's an important idea. Sometimes when it comes to, I talked about how there are strong differences in Christianity regarding the topic of singleness, especially when it comes to uh, um, uh, like marriage or, or clerical celibacy and, and pastors and, and ministers and all that stuff. Um, One of the reasons why is because people have different opinions on it. Paul, even right here, is clear that he doesn't have a word from the Lord on exactly the right way to to approach this. Jesus didn't address it during his earthly ministry. But Paul, as an apostle who's been found trustworthy and faithful, he's going to give his opinion on the best way forward uh, in a way that honors Christ. He says in verse 26, I think then that it is good in view of the present distress... So that's one of the qualifiers. There's a present distress that is coming. And he has that in mind as he gives this answer. That it is good for a man to remain as he is. If you are bound to a wife, don't seek to be released. And if you are released, don't seek a wife. Basically, what he's saying is whatever you find yourself in right now, there is a distress that's coming. And so don't be making huge life changes. Don't leave your wife because the distress is coming. That's not a good Christian option. But also... Don't try to get married. Uh, maybe take a break from that and focus on your relationship with Christ rather than trying to take on new responsibilities in your home. Verse uh, 28, he clarifies, If you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet, such will have trouble in life. And I'm trying to spare you. It's like, it's not a sin if you get married. You know, that, He's not trying to say that this is a law from God. But... There will be some complications. There will be some trouble that comes your way if you get married right now in view of the present distress. Verse 29. 
But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. And this is where it starts to sound more like second coming of Jesus type of idea. But he says, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they do not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they do not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. And so he seems to be thinking of an, a new type of world that's on, that's on the horizon. Uh, but in there, what he's, in essence, I think, saying in poetic language is everything you think you know is changing. So don't continue on as things have been. Don't rejoice as you've rejoiced and weep as you've weeped. If you buy things, don't think your possessions are going to last long. If you're using this world, recognize this world's passing away. Everything you think you know is about to be different. And so, with respect to marriage, start thinking about it a little bit differently. But that's the, that's the first example, and that one has some relevance to us. But I think the second one is, is relevant in all times. The second reason he gives for why he encourages them to remain single if you're single. And that is in verse 32. And I think this is where he really starts to demonstrate the value of singleness for the kingdom of God. Whether you are a widow, whether you are a virgin, whether you are divorced, I think in each of these you can find your value in the kingdom of heaven. And Paul is going to emphasize that. He says in verse 32, this is his second reason for it. But I want you to be free from concern. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned uh, about the things of this world and how he might please his wife. And his interests are divided. So what Paul is saying is basically when you are married, you, you by responsibility of marriage, you have given less of yourself to the Lord. And you have to give more of yourself to your family. And so your interests are divided. And he doesn't say that's wrong. He, he recognizes that. That's, an, that's essential. That's a part of being a husband. That's part of being a family. You have to now focus on your spouse. You have to focus on your kids. You have to focus on your home. And as you're doing that, you want to do that in a Christian way that honors Christ. But it's going to be a lot harder for you to have the time. It's going to be a lot harder for you to have the freedom to go and live the type of life Paul lives. Paul probably couldn't do what he's doing if he had a wife and kids at home because he'd be a bad father. And so he recognizes that you can serve God more fully without distraction by remaining single. There's value of that in the kingdom. And if we don't find place for that in our church, then there are a lot of people who have a lot to offer who are not going to feel at home here. Um, if, if you keep reading in verse 34, he then reverses to talk about the wives instead of just the husbands, or the woman instead of just the men. He says, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned with the things of the Lord, that she might be holy in both body and spirit. And one who is married is concerned with the things of this world, how she might please her husband. And so again, from the wife's perspective, she, if she's married, she has to think about her husband. And that's going to take some of her devotion time away from the Lord. Whereas the one who's unmarried has the freedom to serve God fully and completely. And so verse 35, he, he wraps up this idea by saying, this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to pr promote what is appropriate and uh, to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. He thinks singleness is a better avenue for undistracted devotion to the Lord, even better than marriage. 
And so as you read through that, you begin to realize that Paul sees that there is for the widowed, for the the divorced, and for the virgins, for the single, for those who have never been married. Uh, He sees an avenue of serving God that is rich and deep and fulfilling and eternal. Something that is undivided. Something where they can do so with full purity of heart and mind, and that matters in the church. And the church needs people like that. The church needs space for people like that. The church needs to honor and to appreciate people who are in that state of life. Those reasons that he gives are valuable uh, because they increase opportunity for service in the kingdom of God. Christianity is not about marriage. It's about flourishing in God's kingdom. And you can do that. Whether you are single, whether you are divorced, whether you're widowed, whether you've been married before, you've never been married before, whether you're married right now or you're not married right now, what matters for you is living a rich, fulfilling, valuable, faithful, committed, and meaningful life in service to Christ. And that is something that, as a congregation, we want to make sure you have the opportunity to do. Uh, We want to make sure that you are fulfilling, uh, that you are being enriched in that. And we want to know that that is for you now. Regardless of what your situation is, whether you're married or unmarried, that's your opportunity in service to God. And we want to help uh, encourage anyone who is, uh, no matter where you are in your life, to live more faithfully to God, to know that you matter in his kingdom, and that uh, there is great value and benefit, uh, whether it's in service to your family and God, or whether you can, as in the age to come, devote yourself fully to him now. Uh, If there's anyone here this morning who would like to devote themselves to the Lord, you're looking at your life and and you recognize that maybe you have uh, been distracted by things of this world and you've, whether you're married or not, have not fully devoted yourself to the Lord, we pray that you would do that, uh, that you would offer him the very best that you can. If you'd like to become a Christian this morning, please let that be known. We want to make the opportunity available to you. You can talk to one of our elders in the library in the back, or you can come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.